Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that because we have met together here today, life may grow greater for those who have lost faith in it, simpler for those who are confused by it, more secure for those who would escape it, happier for those who may be tasting the bitterness of it, safer for those who are feeling the peril of it, more friendly for those who are feeling the loneliness of it, and holier for all to whom life may have lost its dignity, its beauty, and its meaning. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As most of you know, I'm not a native Okie. Born in Wyoming, grew up in Arizona, I did my undergraduate in Oregon, seminary in Virginia, and then I've served at churches in Texas, Florida, and now here. Now, I didn't check the time zones for Alaska and Hawaii, but I think I've lived in at least most of the time zones in the United States and seven states in total. I have loved and hated all of the places I have lived, each for its own unique reasons. Which makes sense when we think of the complexities contained in the deceptively quaint word, home. On Sunday, I worshiped with you all online as I flew to Memphis, Tennessee. I was invited last year to join a clergy colleague group that has existed since the 1950s. And Memphis was the location of my first in-person meeting with a group of 17 Episcopal priests from all over the church. New York City, New York, Charlotte, North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, San Antonio, Texas, Little Rock, Arkansas, Seattle, Washington, Darien, Connecticut, a few from the DC area, and even more accents were flying, stories were being told, one after the next. Now, some of these clergy I knew, some I knew of, and some I had no clue existed until I received that phone call a year ago. We descended upon Memphis with two things in common. Each of us, rectors or deans of large and complex churches, and each of us profoundly hopeful for the future of the Episcopal Church. Four days. Four days. We shared deeply of ourselves, the mission and ministries of our churches, and the qualities of our challenging and joyful experiences that which is soul-crushing, and that which is life-giving. It was renewing and beautiful, even, even when I got stuck in Memphis an extra day and made it back to Oklahoma City after midnight. Built into the time we have together is a free afternoon to partake of the city we're in, and that's how I found myself at the Lorraine Motel, where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated on April 4th, 1968, 
and where the National Civil Rights Museum of Memphis now stands. Two days before I found myself at that historic spot, news broke of four people in McCurtain County, Oklahoma. A sheriff, a county commissioner, a sheriff's office investigator, and a prison administrator caught on a recording speaking about murdering reporters, diminishing black people, and referencing the good days of lynching. The National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis starts with the transatlantic slavery and is a chronological look at life for people with black skin in what would become the United States of America. Powerful in its presentation, I spent over three hours going through experiences and time with a dull sense of sickness in my stomach. I found reference in two different exhibits of Oklahoma. One, the early 1950s with George McLaurin suing the University of Oklahoma for entrance, which the courts granted. Still though, when he finally could attend, OU cited separate but equal to segregate him from his classmates. He was restricted to a special table in the cafeteria and a desk in the hallway outside of the classroom. The second reference was about 10 years later, in 1958, when Clara Looper began a direct action campaign that would last for six full years. Looper and the NAACP Youth Council targeted a series of segregated restaurants downtown, that's here, gradually branching out to other public, public accommodations in the city. Looper's campaign formally ended in 1964 when Congress, when Congress passed the Civil Rights Bill outlawing discrimination in most public accommodations. The museum moves beyond the civil rights era into modern times. And I can't help but wonder, will this past week's latest revelation of racism still alive and well in Oklahoma make it onto an interactive display. As I said, home. Home is often a place where we are both deeply known, but it can also be a place that deeply breaks us. An old proverb says, home is where the heart is. Dorothy says, there's no place like home. And Paul Simon says, he wishes that he were homeward bound. But what if home is a place that leaves you unsettled with a sinking pit in your stomach? And no matter what geographic location you call home, you just can't shake the pit. That same day, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near 
and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? And they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth. The things about Jesus, who called Nazareth home, and who likely would have claimed the temple in Jerusalem as home, and all of creation, likely, that Jesus, he comes near, he went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I wonder about this often of these eyes that were kept from recognizing Jesus. These two disciples must have had a sinking pit as I've never experienced before. And they have right there with them the gift of peace which passes all understanding among them. And they do not see I wonder how many times their eyes must have glazed over him, a fellow companion on the path, and found him insignificant, unworthy of a second glance. I wonder how many times did Jesus maybe cross their path and they didn't notice? How often did Jesus try to grab their attention? But they were too busy, too distracted, too deep in their own despair. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? This past Wednesday marked 28 years since the horrific bombing a mere block away from us, a breaking of enormous proportion. This past Wednesday, we saw a tornado rip through coal in Shawnee and had many of us in fear and trembling as we waited, a breaking of structure, of nature. Racist comments a few individuals, surely speaking what is contained in the hearts of many, broke open upon the pages of national news 
a breaking of trust in a community, and a breaking of hope that the blood, sweat, and tears of previous centuries were not enough. But with Jesus, the action of breaking opens the eyes of these two disciples in the midst of their world broken around them, leaving them in despair. And their eyes were open to him. Were not our hearts burning within us while he was with us on the road, they said. 28 years ago, our eyes as Oklahomans were opened and we saw Jesus in the midst of brokenness brought by extremism. And right outside these walls, Jesus was with us in the North Garden on the dusty sidewalks in the midst of rubble. Were not our hearts burning within us? This past Thursday morning, our eyes were opened and we saw Jesus in the midst of brokenness brought by nature and only 20 minutes away. Jesus with us with chainsaws and bottles of water and trucks as debris was cleared in the towns of Shawnee and Cole. Were not our hearts burning within us. And with our home state, yes, mine too, right in the eye of the media, Jesus is in the midst of brokenness brought by racism and cruelty and dehumanization. Jesus with us as we examine and reproach not only our elected officials and those who hold public authority, but the contents of our own hearts and the blindness of our own eyes. Are not our hearts burning within us? The world tells us that the breaking is cause for despair. With Jesus, the breaking is blessing as it opens our eyes to what is around us and to God in our midst. In the movie First Reformed, an indie flick released in 2019, the main character says, despair is a development of pride so great that it chooses one certitude rather than admit God is more creative than we are. Beloveds, God is so infinitely creative. In the face of what is broken, let us not dwell in despair, that certitude that all hope is lost. Rather, let our eyes be opened to Jesus in our midst. Let our hearts burn within us and find that peace which passes all understanding. Jesus is here in our home of Oklahoma and in the midst of the brokenness that is known and unknown.
even when we cannot see. Jesus is on the road with us, empowering us to do the work we are called to do alongside him who turns the broken into blessing. Amen.